Welcome to this episode of Eddie Firth's podcast. I am, as always, Eddie Firth. I appreciate you guys downloading. Uh, fun show today. A really good friend of mine, somebody I've been working with for a little while now. We've got Championship Wrestling from Hollywood senior official Nick Bonanno. Make sure you guys check him out on Twitter at Nicholas Bonanno, B-O-N-A-N-N-O. This shit is Bonanno, B-O-N-N-A-N-I. I hate myself. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I actually had a big moral dilemma as I sat down to record the opening and post the podcast. Nick and I started with like a four minute conversation on bed bugs and cockroaches and our experiences with them in New York and LA. And I'll be honest, I cut it. Mostly, I, you know, I don't. You know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't download this to hear us talking about insects. You know, uh, <laughs> we do have a fun show. The two of us sit down and we talked about. Of course, we talked about wrestling. You can catch uh, Nick and I every Saturday on KDOC on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, YouTube America, all over the country. Uh, check your local listings. If you're in the area, come to a TV taping. The show is amazing. It's a free show at the Ocean View Pavilion in Port Wenimi. Uh, it's two Sundays every month. Our next one is actually this Sunday, April 9th. Bell time is 3 p.m. It's always an incredible day of action. You'll get to see Nick and I in the ring trying to get massive pro wrestlers to just behave themselves for the next 10 to 20 minutes. You know, we want to call a fair, even match. Um, so check us out. If you can't, if you can't come to a show, if you can't find us on your local listings, download the download the Fight TV app. You can watch all of our shows for free on the Fight TV app. And if you go check very specific shows, you can see me getting my head taken off by a leather strap, getting punched in the face. I got thrown across the ring by one of the one of, by DJ Hyde this week actually from CZW. DJ Hyde threw me across the ring. I had to disqualify him on the spot. And then he and Big Tito, uh, Bad Dude Tito, they broke out into a big brawl. There was a massive pull-apart. We had to get everyone from the back out just to stop them and, and get it under control. I, I would have done it myself, but I honestly probably I couldn't handle the, the both of them. So, um, yeah, Nick and I skipped the bug talk. We talked a little bit about WrestleMania 33. I loved watching WrestleMania 33 this year. You know, I go into, I think I even say it in the show, I go into every wrestling show imagining it through the eyes of myself when I was 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. That's when I fell in love with wrestling. That's when I first was a, a true fan. And the older I get, the more I realize that that's who the show is for. It's it's for kids. It's for somebody watching on a Saturday morning. And sure, you make the case. Monday Night Raw is on until 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast. Um but when you watch, when I watch through the eyes of a kid, when I watch through my child's eyes, I mean, WrestleMania 33 was awesome. You know, sure, there are some storylines I wish played out differently. I thought, I thought Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens was the hottest story in wrestling, the hottest, the hottest angle, if you will. But just, it had the most behind it going into WrestleMania, and I felt like it probably deserved the Universal title in that match. But they had a great match, you know. The whole show was awesome. I had I had a great time watching that show. There's one thing that we actually did not mention that I wanted to specifically talk about, which was how badass was Stephanie McMahon getting 
uh, knocked off the ring apron and going through a table. That was awesome. Like all credit to Stephanie McMahon for uh, crashing through a freaking table. God. So it was a great show. Um, I'll go on record again. AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon was my favorite match. I watched it again the other day. And I hear the criticisms, you know, a 40-something-year-old executive who doesn't wrestle shouldn't hold his own with AJ Styles. But did you want to see an uncompetitive match? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people. I would have loved to see AJ Styles and John Cena at WrestleMania again for the, for the WWE title. That's what I thought, the, the world title, the heavyweight, whatever they're calling it nowadays. That title should have been Cena and AJ, in my opinion. But the, they, each, they each had great matches. Cena and, and Miz was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Miz, Miz is an incredible heel right now. And the work he's doing is great. You watch the show and he's just, he's entertaining. He's over as a bad guy. You want to boo him. You want to see him get his butt kicked. I mean, that's, that's Roddy, that's Rowdy Roddy Piper style stuff. You know, I actually just picked up the, the new book, Rowdy. I got to start reading that. I'll let you guys know what I think. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed WrestleMania 33. AJ Styles versus Shane McMahon was incredible. Stephanie McMahon taking an incredible uh, spill off the apron through a table. Jericho and Owens. Jericho with that light-up scarf. I almost feel like he felt underwhelmed by the reaction the scarf got. But there's no way people could see it in that huge stadium. Maybe you threw a couple more lights on it. But that was... I, look, at home, that scarf was awesome. I went nuts for the scarf. Um... I had zero idea the Hardy Boys were coming out. I fully bought into the New Day. I thought they were going to go. I think I said that in the show with Nick. I thought they were going to win. And I was just like, you know, it makes sense. I get it. That's a cool little swerve. It's a, it's a fun little change of pace. Um, but when the Hardys came out and won, that was incredible. Um, the Universal title match, Bill Goldberg, Brock Lesnar. Watched that one again the other night. And man, what a match. Yeah, it's not long. It is not full of technical wrestling. But the story they tell, the hard-hitting action, the fact that Bill Goldberg Goldberg has been set up as this unstoppable monster since he's come back. And Brock before that was an unstoppable, the beast incarnate, Brock Lesnar. Every single move that they hit felt like it could have been, should have been, or might have been the end of the match. And that alone, for me, was was thrilling. It was gripping. Everything that they did just absolutely had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Um, and, I, you know, you, I'd be remiss. You know, rest in peace, Taker. I am of the belief that that was The Undertaker's final match, that that's the last time we're going to see him on television wrestling as The Undertaker. And, in fact, if it were up to me, if I were writing this story, that's the last time you would ever see The Undertaker or, you know, behind the scenes, or Mark Calloway, the guy who plays The Undertaker. I think for that story to be its most effective, the way he left placing the gloves and the jacket and the hat in the middle of the ring, he walks away and we never see or hear from him again. They have, they have protected that character and that wrestler in such great ways, preserving that, mys that mystique, the mystery of this this character for so long in such an incredible way, an awesome fashion, awe-inspiring kind of awesome fashion. I think you just don't, you don't, you never see him again. He gets inducted into the Hall of Fame next year. He comes out, I don't know, he salutes the urn or something. I don't know exactly how you do his Hall of Fame induction, 
But I think you just never see The Undertaker again in any capacity. I don't want him to be an ambassador. I don't want to see uh, the man behind the trench coat doing interviews. Like They've protected it so well. Let that mystique live on forever. And kids and grandkids will be talking about The Undertaker, no questions asked. They do a great job of preserving that legacy. And I think the legacy stands even stronger if, you just, if we just never see him again. Um, Kurt Angle is then named the GM of Monday Night Raw the next night. That That's interesting to me. I like that idea. Um, I think we're all sort of hoping to see Kurt Angle in the ring again. Depends on the guy. Um, I'm, of course, way more excited than Shinsuke. That Shinsuke Nakamura debuts on SmackDown the very next night. Shinsuke's hands down my favorite wrestler out right now. Obviously, I have other Cena's always going to be one of my favorites. Sean is Sean Michaels, my favorite of all time. But seeing Shinsuke hit the main roster, the reaction he got, the fact that he came out to the ring while the Miz was there, leading me to believe that he and Miz are going to wrestle. That's you sold you sold me on that that pay per view when when Miz and Shinsuke go one on one. I will absolutely be tuning in wearing my strong style t-shirt, booing The Miz, excited to watch Shinsuke get his first win on SmackDown. I hope to see Shinsuke, if it's me, do Shinsuke and Miz. Look, I want to see Shinsuke and John Cena. That's, uh, out of all the matches there, I want to see Shinsuke and John Cena. So Shinsuke Nakamura and John Cena either at SummerSlam or if you can find a way to build that for WrestleMania and there and Shinsuke Nakamura takes the WWE title at WrestleMania. I, I don't know. I'm excited for that. Um, in the news this week too, RIP Undertaker, RIP Don Rickles. You know, one of... The greatest comedians of all time passes away this week. And, you know, I don't think you'll see him on a historical roast anytime too soon. We've learned that some time needs to pass. I think Michael Jackson is the most recently deceased that we would be able to do. But there's maybe maybe if we do one of the, the comedy store roasts with a pan, panel of comedians, again, we'll get Don Rickles on there. He certainly deserves it. An incredible comedian, incredible roaster. One of the originators. Go check out his roasts, uh, the Dean Martin roast. He's always he's he's flat out incredible on them. He, he he's one of the originators of stand up comedy, and we appreciate his contribution. He will be missed dearly. Speaking of historical roast, make sure you check us out April eighteenth, Tuesday, April eighteenth at nine p.m. at Nerd Melt Theater. We're roasting World War Two, so we are going to have a panel of including Hitler, Stalin. FDR and Winston Churchill, and they're all going to be roasted. We've got incredible comedians. Tony Hinchcliffe is going to be there. Matt McCarthy is on the bill. Brad Gage, Nate Craig, uh, Darian Sills Evans, a great friend of mine. Check out his Race Man podcast. He just finished filming season one of Superior Donuts, and they're definitely going to be back next year. It's a lot of fun. It's like Cheers in a donut shop. It's a it's a great show. Check that one out. Brandy Posey, Nicole Amy Schreiber will be there. Adam Cousins. And Atsuka Okatsuka, who just played Mulan at our fictional roast of the Disney Princesses, which was one of our most incredible shows. Maybe my favorite show that we've put on so far, save for a few others that really stand out to me. But just an incredible show. She did fantastic, and she's getting mentioned a lot because of all the controversy about the movie Ghost in the Shell with a... with. 
the Caucasian Scarlett Johansson being cast in what should be an Asian role in Ghost in the Shell. And Atsuka's been very poignant and outspoken about that. So she'll be returning to historical, her first historical roast, but returning from fictional roast April 18th, 9 p.m. at Nerd Melt. You can also check me out April 28th at 7 p.m. in the YooHoo room at Flappers. I'll, I'll get a couple minutes to talk about how my therapy is going. I hugged my therapist at the end of our session this week, so I feel like we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Um, I'm also going to be on a really fun live show. A good friend of mine, Taylor Hughes, you might have seen his podcast, About to Break. I did a, a fun episode. It was actually a two-part episode. Imagine that. I talk a lot. So Taylor and I did a two-part episode of About to Break. Go download that on iTunes. And then May 10th at 8 p.m., at Loft on 2nd in Pomona, Taylor's actually doing a live about to break, and I am one of the guests he tapped to, to go there. So I'll do some stand-up, and I think we'll talk about either how I come about those jokes or, or things like that. Um, I'm actually really excited for that show. And he and I are, are planning, we're in the early stages, and we are planning a show called Jokers and Aces, which we're hoping to have here in Hollywood, where you're going to see magicians and comedians on the same bill on the same night, so check out uh, our Twitter feeds and Facebooks for more information on that. If you guys have any questions, you know where to find me. Enjoy the show. So I was excited because you told you told me that you liked the Universal match. Oh yeah, so I let's love go, that. let's let's jump into okay, Mania sure. and then we can lead off of that. Absolutely, that's going to be obvious. But I haven't really talked talked Mania with anyone. Yeah, I, think, I don't think I have either. There's bits and pieces, and you know, people are always just going to make... Uh, whatever the quickest joke is, they're going to do that, but not actually discuss mm -hmm. anything. Um, yeah, so my to my surprise, my absolute favorite match from uh, WrestleMania 33 was Universal title Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. Uh, in what I... I don't know. I don't know what I expected that to be. I knew it would be short, which it was. I'm not sure the runtime. I'd say it was less than 10 minutes for I sure. Can, I can figure it out, because I took uh -huh. pictures. I, t I, I was watching it. I rewatched it yesterday. Okay. And I took a screenshot of the beginning time mm -hmm. and a screenshot of the ending time because I wanted to figure out bell to bell. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, I know that we work in segments, like an actual TV segment would be different. The start time, the bell rang at 3 hours, 56 minutes, and 47 seconds. Okay, which is under 57. 356, 47, and the bell, <laughs> the final bell was at 4 hours, 1 minute, and 34 seconds. Wow, so it was less than 5 minutes. We're talking about five minutes on the nose. Wow. Okay. Just under five minutes on the nose of bell to bell action. Yeah. The part I found, the only thing I found ridiculous about that match mm -hmm. is the moment that they knocked on Goldberg's door yeah. to his dressing room. And I was like, so wait a minute, wait a minute. We already have a 300 yard ramp these guys are yeah. going to have to walk down. And I got to watch this guy walk from the backstage area too. Like this is going to be 10 minutes of Goldberg walking. Well, I, I, I have it on good authority that that was a pre-taped uh, walk, too. <laughs> of course it was. It's brilliant. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Yeah. Because my first thought was, I don't want to watch this guy walk for half an hour. You know what You know what bothered me most, though, about Goldberg's entrance? Is that um, the, the drawstring on his tights was hanging out the whole time. You could see it dangling down. I thought about that towards the end on one of his final spears. And I was just like, Vince must be going nuts backstage. Like, God damn, get him to tuck the goddamn string in. This is why we're taking the belt off of him. 
Though my, I guess my biggest relief about Goldberg in that match was that his shirtless son did not appear, uh, which was a concern of mine at, uh, was it Fastlane when he beat Kevin yeah. Owens? Did you watch last night Raw at all? I didn't. Oh, I watched the beginning of it, but I didn't see anything with Goldberg. I just saw, I watched the YouTube clip of him saying goodbye, and he's out there with his arm. I both look up to and feel bad for his son, because yeah. I understand in that age, this is both the coolest and the most awkward thing yeah. to go through. And the kid, the kid's a little awkward. But Goldberg has his arm around his son in the, mid, in the middle of the ring, and he's like, I'm one of the toughest some bitches around. And I'm like, this is just so weird. You just said some bitch with your arm around your kid. The kid gets up on the turnbuckle yeah. and fucking dabs. And I'm oh, just like, no. I can't, I can't do this. And then TJ Perkins runs out. <laughs> Beats down the kid. Technically like, under 205. You know. Gimmick infringement. Doosh, doosh. So talk to me about the match, because I'm, I'm okay, excited yeah. to so hear your thoughts on this the match. match. Alright, yeah. So like I said, I, I knew it was going to be short and pretty sweet. Uh, a thing that I always look for at big events, or really any WWE event, is how like the cameras are going to be directed. Now, mm -hmm. since we both have that, the eye for uh, having worked at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, um, what's to see what, what you know makes the frame and what happens. Uh, so right off the bat, uh, Brock Lesnar hits a couple... It was he hit three German suplexes in a row. Bang, bang, bang. He starts to fire up. Ah, the camera, you get a low camera shot right on, on Brock Lesnar. He's a man on fire. He looked like he just came out of hell or something. Yeah. And he turns around right into a spear. I yeah. love that. I love that. So cinematic. He, uh, Goldberg runs right into the frame, takes him out. Mm. Looks like he almost... It was, the ring position was really bad on that. Almost fell into the ropes. Yep. Or it was uh, concerning, I should say. I don't know. Maybe they did that intentionally. In yeah. which case, it wouldn't be bad. But... Um, that concerned me, but it, it definitely came from a place of aggression, which is what uh, what that needed. On a show where, you know, I think everyone was, uh, w you know, was gearing up for a long show. I don't know if I told you this, but I actually watched this year's WrestleMania at three different locations because in order to break up the, how long the show was. Yeah. So I started it at my apartment with my roommate, and then I went to uh, a, a civilian friends of mine, you know, yeah. non-wrestling folk, uh, and, then I, and then, I, then I ended it with all my wrestling buddies. And, uh, you know, a la WrestleMania 2, the three different locations. Yeah. And I watched... That match happened during my... Uh, let's see. I'm a, I, I don't recall what, what point in the show that was. I, I think that was right before Roman Reigns and Taker. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, so it was right. I think it yeah. might have actually been the match yeah. right before it. So, so, yeah, so at that point, we'd already been watching the show for five hours or so, right? And uh, that quick shot of adrenaline I thought was great. Um, I love the aggressiveness. I, I was... Very happy that Goldberg took so many suplexes. I was mm -hmm. impressed by that. I'm sure his paycheck reflected that. Mm -hmm. But um, that was uh, uh, the right thing to do after uh, kind of the build-up with him and Lesnar yeah. not getting anything at Survivor Series yeah. and kind of being jerked around and being tossed out at the Rumble. Uh, I love that. Uh, I Let's see. They go through the let's see. They go through the barricade at one point, kind of early on. I can tell you the first part of this match. Look, it being short also yeah. makes it easy. Yeah. But even rewatching it yesterday, disclosure, I fully agree with you. I thought this match was fucking awesome. Like mm -hmm. it was, I was looking forward to it a lot. I was definitely nervous about how it might play out because of all the scenarios of could it go too long? Can they not get this right? What mm -hmm. are these guys gonna do? I was fairly certain Brock Lesnar was going to win, but even still, with Goldberg's momentum and just, you know, Vince loves the swerve. He right. loves to do what's, he loves to write against what people are expecting because that makes it a little more interesting. Yeah. And baby faces have a little bit more, uh, 
their probability is a little bit higher at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. So if it's not, if you're not sure if it could go one way or the other, it's usually in the favor of the babyface. And I feel like one of the things that, I mean, we can easily look this up somewhere, but I don't care to do it. I feel like one of the things that dictated this run for Goldberg mm-hmm. was the unpredicted popularity and success of of him in general. Yeah. Right. The sales on video games, probably merch sales, the reactions he was getting everywhere that propelled him to this spot to begin with. And right. the idea that they might even delay it one extra month, or you know, have him win at WrestleMania and then drop the title at whatever payback is coming up or something like that. Yeah. You know, I've heard rumors that Goldberg wasn't happy anymore. He kind of got back into the grind and realized, yeah, I don't really want to be doing this as much. So the match opens with three German suplexes and two spears on Brock Lesnar. Yeah, Brock smartly rolls out after that second spear. Right? That's when Goldberg comes around and fucking spears him right through the barricade. Oh, that's good. So it's three and three. It's three and three oh, right like off that. the bat. Like it, Three suplexes, three spears. One of them outside. They roll back in the ring. And the way I've described this match to people, cause some people who watched this match told me that they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I went the other way entirely. I was like, this... This match was like a heavy metal song to me, <laughs> right? It was just hard hitting. Like every move was high impact. Every move, interestingly, mattered. And to me, it felt like, especially with the buildup, the fact that Goldberg has gotten over on him so easily before. He beat him in a minute yeah. 26. At the Rumble, he threw him out over nothing. He's gotten him once or twice before with Spears. Mm-hmm. They've set up this story that Goldberg can get Lesnar in an instant. Yeah. So, at every turn, I was just like, oh my god, no, Goldberg's going over with that? Like, this is it. Like, he's got him. He's got him. Like, yeah. And so, every move had me on the edge of my seat for that five minutes, unsure of what was going to happen next. I love that. You don't get that that so often. Especially on that kind of a big fight yeah. feel with these two monster heavyweights. We've seen the WrestleMania 20 match wasn't paced right. I was going to say, if you if you had told me 13 years ago that my favorite match would be a rematch from the worst, uh, arguably the worst match on that show or uh, on WrestleMania 20, you know, if you cut the time in half and then up the, ante- the intensity, yeah. like, I, I did, you know, I wouldn't have believed you. But, uh, yeah. As soon as they got back in the ring, I know that it's just, I mean, at that point, it is an exchange of, I don't remember when... Lesnar kicked out of the jackhammer if it was right away. I know that there was two reversals. He went to jackhammer reversal. He went to F5 Uh, reversal. There was a couple more spears. Then Lesnar reels off seven more suplexes. He jumps over the spear. Oh, I love... I thought that was great. It shows Brock's absolute athleticism. I want to say, like... Maybe Mr. Perfect used to leapfrog like that. He wouldn't just go straight up. He would sort of jump over the person. Yep. And that reminded me of that, and uh, like you like, like you say, you don't really get to, even though Brock is this like physical uh, force, you don't really see him be athletic that much. Mm-hmm. People think of like his only athleticism at WrestleMania 19 when he tried a shooting star press yeah. and he landed on his head, and uh, so anytime that you get to see super athlete or super heavyweights be super athletes is you know very very interesting. Yeah, and he's legit. Like he's legit that athletic. Yeah, you know, like no questions asked. He is. I mean, still to this day, he's probably the most, one of the most athletic guys on that roster, one of the most badass athletes in the world, Mm. Um, failed UFC steroid test be damned, you know, I I don't have the same view on that kind of an issue, especially when it comes to these guys, I think the thing also, 
when people hear, when an average person hears that an athlete is using steroids, I don't think they understand the work that goes into mm -hmm. being in the gym. It's not like Brock Lesnar woke up, took some steroids, and looked like that. Right. Like, that hard work is compounded by taking those enhancements. Like, those, those medications help him get there, but he's still he's lifting still that many weights to get there. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't condone steroids, but I do. I, I see what you're saying. Um, um, you still got to put the work in. That match was just, it, like, to me, it was just, the, it was perfect. It was, it was exciting every second of the way. Every twist, I didn't know what was coming next. Every time a spear was hit, I thought that was it. Every time the suplexes were being laid in, I thought that was it. And when he finally won, like there was a, because I'm I'm a big Brock Lesnar guy too. Okay. Like I am, I'm the guy who remember Fourth of July like two years ago they did the special from Japan. Oh right, yeah, at, like, yeah. Three in the morning. I fucking Lesnar I was and up. Kofi was that? It was a like a yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, I was up early for that. Like wow. I made sure to watch it. We were I was working in the park till late anyway. Mm -hmm. We had rehearsals. That was actually right when the element started. The, okay. the dinosaurs were opening Fourth of July, and so I got home from like a 3 a.m. rehearsal at 4 a.m. was the show and it's like I'm fucking watching Brock Lesnar like mm -hmm. I show up for Lesnar my very first pay-per-view was Hell in a Cell when he took on Taker out here in LA oh yeah I was there I saw that That was. oh a... actually that might have been the day we met we, we, we were flyering that day together I have a photo oh, of us yeah, together yeah we did flyer that day yeah yeah and I broke off early so I could go around get back into the building it was a good show Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt had a tough, tough match. I remember that one too. Yeah, I think that was my favorite match on that show. But um, going, or, or I guess getting back to the Goldberg Lesnar match, I actually wanted. There's two things from that match that actually reminded me of Kevin Owens in a way. They both tie back to the Lesnar match. But um, so one thing I thought of after uh, after Lesnar took the first two spears, he rolls out of the ring, right? Mm -hmm. At that moment, I thought to the point where. Uh, Going to fast lane, Kevin Owens says, "You know, I don't, I don't know if he said this exactly, but not that he had to beat Goldberg, but he just kind of had to outlast Goldberg. So yep, the longer yep. the match went, it tipped more in Kevin Owens' favor. And that was the thing I was thinking about if that was going through Brock's mind in that sense, or that like there were that kind of story yeah. movement. And that Brock's a tough dude; he could take a lot of punishment. Is is it a matter of just waiting out Goldberg's kind of, you know, yeah. letting him tire himself out? Because um, as as the match did go on, it did lean heavily into his favor. Yeah. Second thing about that um, that reminded me of Kevin Owens was that um, do you remember Kevin Owens and Dean Ambrose feud for the Intercontinental Title happened yeah. last year or late the year before that? And I think it culminated at the Rumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah in the last man standing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I remember that because that table spot was described very much, and I think sometimes WWE will do this a little too much. I'm I'm not. I have. This is not, I'm not one to sit and criticize anyone or bash what they do. I don't like that kind of stuff. Sure. I'm not a fan of sometimes how they shoot their show. Interesting. One of the biggest, one of the things I find most egregious mm -hmm. is when the camera follows the punch. Okay. Right? If, if you get a guy in a corner, he's laying in some punches, yeah. the camera will rock with the punch back right. and forth. And the way I've always described that is, to me, that's just as dumb as if I was watching a basketball game and the camera watched the ball dribble up and down. I'm like, I, I get it. Like, we want to see what the ball is doing. Yeah, yeah. I think they get a little too close, a little too much, right? Live yeah. in the wide. You have literally two great athletes. We want the perspective. We want to see mm -hmm. Brock jump over Les, uh, jump over Goldberg, stuff like that. Yeah. But every once in a while, sometimes they'll rely too heavily on the 
you didn't see it coming. But then it hits perfectly, like Goldberg coming out of nowhere to spear Lesnar yeah. after those three Germans. Then it's perfect. Or Ambrose and Owens going through the table at Royal Rumble. I was going to say, like, that's, that's the ultimate you didn't see it coming. Is like If you were sitting ringside, you would see that there was a double-stacked table there mm-hmm. the whole match, but you forget about it. Um, and the, like you said, the way that they shot it, they framed that out. And so when, you know, Owens goes up to, I don't know if he went to do a moonsault or something onto Ambrose and Ambrose just gets up and pushes him and yeah. goes through the double tables, then you're like, oh yeah, that's right. But that's, that's the movie they're telling. That's there. That's, yeah. the, you know, so. And when it's done right, it's done perfect. Like that right. spot is memorable even a year and a half later, a year and a, a, year and a quarter. And we're like, oh my God, you remember? And now we're going to remember again. Three and three, right off the bat, I can remember the three yeah. Germans and the three Spears. Where all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh my God, this fucking match is on! What's gonna yeah. happen?" Well, that's man, that's so interesting. Um, let me, all right, let me. Okay, I'll finish my the first the thought that the, the, I'll finish the thought I started, and then I'll go back to talking about camera angles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so I was reminded of Kevin Owens because uh, we were talking about the idea of uh, if. You know, we've seen Lesnar get beaten with spears and jackhammers before. He's hit a couple spears. He hasn't hit the jackhammer yet. So in that feud that Owens had with Dean Ambrose, Dean Ambrose won, I believe, every single match in because uh, as the Intercontinental Champion. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a match they had before the Last Man Standing match, where uh, uh, it looked like uh, uh, Owens was going to hit the pop up powerbomb three different times. He never hit the he never hit the move. First time Dean uh, like leapfrogged him. The second time, I think he did that. He somehow re- oh, he like reeled back and did his big uh, uh, wacky line, wacky like lariat. And the third time, I think he jumped up and hurricane run or Frankenstein okay. or Owen. So basically, every single time, uh, he evaded the attack somehow, which I think is way more interesting as a babyface to evade an attack than to just kick out of someone's finisher. Yeah, because um, yeah, yeah it's, you're tough, but I think it's smarter. It makes you look like a like a, I guess like a smarter uh, mm-hmm. athlete or fight fighter rather. To try to evade attack, because then even though Kevin Owens lost, he hit the you know he lost to the Dirty Deeds or what have you, um, it didn't. It, it I think him never having hit his finisher is more important than the fact that he lost. Because had he hit his finisher, then he might have beaten Dean mm-hmm. Ambrose. But Dean smartly, because he's a crafty, you know, got out, got out of the way every single time. So since we've never seen Goldberg hit a jackhammer on Lesnar or someone recently and then not get completely, you know, laid out, mm-hmm. that meant so much more that Lesnar got that shoulder up at two yeah. um, in the in the matchup mania. So I think that's when people were expecting the match to be over. And uh, then, bam, he kicked out. And I thought okay, it might now have been. Yeah. I really thought it might have been. And I was like, shit, he's going, he's keeping the belt. Because I don't think he had another, did he hit another jackhammer? I don't, I, he, he probably screwed again. He but didn't like, hit another, he hit the one. Okay. I know yeah. he might have, I think, and again, it's not hard to go back and look. And I remember, this is one that I remember most things that happened in the match, but I think after that jackhammer, there might have been one or two more spears, but not another jackhammer. Yeah. And that was the idea that he kept. When you said that, first off, two things. You can definitely tell uh, what era and where somebody grew up watching wrestling by whether they call it a Frankensteiner or Hurricane <laughs> <laughs> Because up until WrestleMania 12, they yeah. were Frankensteiners in the WWF, yeah. right? The fucking... The Steiner brothers hit Frankensteiners. Yeah. And in WrestleMania 12, the first time I think Shawn Michaels hit a Hurricane Rana on uh, Bret Hart. Yes. I, I was thinking, I think of Shawn Michaels introducing Ranas into the WWF in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, a thing that I. They are technically different moves, I would like to say. How so? A Frankensteiner is straight on. If you're facing another person, you jump up to their shoulders and go back. A Rana is a little bit from the side. Gotcha. Um, and it's. Uh, 
though you can't hit a Frankenstein or running, or I think of Arana being more of like a shoot off the ropes into Arana. Gotcha. Um, you can get to Arana from different ways too. It's uh, if you get more into Lucha Libre, you'll, you kind of learn that anything can be turned into an arm drag. I feel like in the same sense, <laughs> you can turn anything into a Rana. <laughs> that's, that, it's a good counter. I like yeah. that everything's an arm drag or a Rana. The other thing, when you talk about those guys, I think that's... I think you, you'll get this easily. That's what separates guys. Okay? Is... And we encounter it plenty, both as fans and as professionals. The difference between... And I don't want to go too deep, right? But mm-hmm. putting a bunch of moves together, but putting a bunch of things together that mean something. Yeah. And so the strategy of Dean Ambrose never getting hit with that pop-up power bomb, that's what made Kevin Owens universal champion material from the beginning. Right. Same for Dean Ambrose, is they understand that in the story and strategy-wise, if you're continuously going for that finishing move, but the good guy, the, the babyface, still counters it. Yeah. Both you guys are put over. Both you guys look strong. The baby face was able to out-wrestle yeah. the heel, which is technically what you're supposed to kind of build into those matches story-wise. But if the heel can get that move, they would have gotten it. And by you, you protect both the guys. You, you, yeah. you elevate both guys with that versus what I would say is just the simplistic. And certainly we've see, we saw matches at WrestleMania this year and other years where I'm not saying it's just simplistic to kick out of finishing moves, but... It's a much simpler way to go. Hit a finishing move, kick out. Oh my God, he kicked out. Versus trying to get it, trying to get it, can't get it. And that, mm-hmm. I don't know, that's just that's that little thing in storytelling that you can tell those guys learned from years of working yeah. where other guys are still catching on in all aspects of stories. Yeah. Right? It translates everywhere. There's plenty of times other guys in comedy or screen, uh, screenwriting do this thing where you're like, all right, like in five years you'll see that You'll see this other way, which is tease it, tease it, tease it, and build the stronger aspect. Yeah. And they got that out of Lesnar and Goldberg. They built that strong, even with the kickouts on finishing moves. And what I did like is it was 1F5 and Goldberg was done. Yeah. It was like, because they had told that story, Lesnar had never gotten the F5 in on him. And the one time he did on Raw, Goldberg was out, and then he finally hits it at Mania, and that's the 1, 2, 3. He had never taken an F5 in the middle of the... I don't think he kicked out of one at WrestleMania 20. I don't think Lesnar got an F5. I don't remember that match that much that well. But the, uh... <laughs> Look who's calling. You know, that, you know that name? Oh, God. Yeah, I'll get back to him later. It just made, Res- Wrestling made... promoters. Yeah. <laughs> wrestling promoters calling in the middle of us recording a podcast that, as if we had scripted it. Oh, man. Uh, what's it called? So... So you were also going to say you were going to talk about camera angles. Yeah, there was one more thing I wanted to add about um, what we were just talking about. That's fine. Um, yeah, so camera angles. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've worked a more television-based style, I've I've obviously always loved television wrestling, mm-hmm. but uh, the live experience for me has always been more uh, exciting. Um, I come from, I, I studied uh, playwriting and screenwriting in college, and so it was interesting to see both of those two things together and then how that translates to other art forms of wrestling particularly and that I'm, I'm a big sucker for atmosphere and atmosphere mm. is something that you capture in a theater you can capture it in a building um, that's harder to translate onto into through the, it's harder to, to transcend through a television screen mm-hmm. atmosphere um, and 
that's a, a thing about live performance that really always fascinates me versus a film or a TV show is that the film or the TV show is concrete. It's always going to be the same every time you watch it. You can find different things about it that you can appreciate. Oh, I never noticed the, you know, the lighting in this or the production design or that line never hit me quite the same. But every time you watch that episode of television, it's the same exact version of that mm -hmm. episode. Um, if you go and see a play on opening night and then you see it on closing night, the, the material is the same, but the show is kind of different, mm -hmm. um, if you get what I mean by mm -hmm. that. You know, they've worked different things out. They figured out how beats are supposed to land. The, the pauses are different. Maybe even interaction with the audience, if there's any of that, is has developed quite a lot. And I think that's a thing that's super unique to uh, the theater um, and I'd say being any, anything that's live performance in that uh, what happens in that moment, in that 90 minutes that you're there, uh, will never happen again exactly the same way. 100%. And uh, I think that's what makes live going to wrestling live special is that yeah they probably recorded that, um, but you the way that the wrestlers are able to capture your attention um, versus trying to capture the viewing audience on a TV screen's uh -huh. attention is very different. Uh -huh. um, if you go to a house show, they always talk about the difference between going to a WWE house show and going to a Monday Night Raw. Uh -huh. Is that house shows are more? They, people will say that house shows could be more fun or they're this. They're very much more crowd interactive. They could be a little sillier, um, and that's the thing that's always kind of captivated me about uh, and drawn my attention to to any art form, to any performance, I mm -hmm. should say, um, is that what what is specific to this performance that is not that wasn't present at the last performance, that's not going to be present in the one that they're doing in an hour or tomorrow or the next week, and uh, that kind of specific, uh, you know, individuality or whatever you want to call it, um, is something that I'm always seeking, uh, both as a performer and then as in doing writing and stuff as well, so... Uh, specific to camera shots, the theater ver or live live interaction versus watching it on screen. Uh, with being there live, you choose what you want to look at. If you want to mm -hmm. watch the entrance the whole time because you think someone's coming out, you can do that. Um, you, can, you know, if you think the commentators are doing something weird, you think something, something's happening there, you can do that. If the referee is out of position, you're like, oh, what's he doing over there? Oh no, I just missed a spot because I was focusing on that guy. You have that freedom. You have that choice. But if the guys are doing their job, then you're only going to be focused on them. Mm -hmm. um, if you're watching on TV, you can only focus on them because that's what is being. This yeah. is like this is what you should be looking at. Um, so you don't have that freedom. So yeah. for the fans at the Royal Rumble last year, where you know they could see that the tables were set up there, they probably had, were more aware of what was about to happen yeah. than the viewing audience. And I think there are strengths and there are weaknesses to that. Um, but I think it still didn't. It doesn't fail to elicit a crazy reaction. Yeah. And so I. Uh, I I personally I. I've been to a few. So, I've been to house shows, for WWE, Ring of Honor, a couple other small indie things. Um, I've been to Monday Night Raws. I've only been to one pay per view, which mm -hmm. was that Hell in the Cell. Hell in the Cell, yeah. I would go back to pay per views because. They're more match-oriented than okay. segment-oriented. Sure. But at this point in my life, unless someone gave me a free ticket, like I don't think I'd pay to go to Raw. And it's not a knock because I, I'm a wrestling fan through and through, and I always will be. Yeah. I just don't enjoy it because sitting in that crowd, I fully recognize that what I am is an extra mm. in a TV show being yeah. shot for something else. Yeah. Right. That whole show, any Monday Night Raw you go to, yeah. I become comp very just hyper-aware that everything going on right now is for some dude sitting in his living room yeah. versus me in the live crowd. Whereas house shows are obviously only pitched to yeah. me and pay-per-views are sort of that in-between where at least I'm not going to have to sit through 
two backstage segments in a row, an in-ring thing where they're building Jericho's set, an in-ring thing where they're playing Jericho's you know highlight reel, yeah. and a, a post segment with backstage in an ambulance. Do you know what I mean? It, it, there's there's less flow, and again, that yeah. flow was never designed for me anyway. It was all written for someone else. I love what you said about capturing the spirit of the room because I, st I started in theater. Mm -hmm. um, my genesis was I was actually ready to go to college after high school to become a basketball coach. Mm -hmm. I was I was a full-on like athlete. I wanted to coach um, high school, college, and then pro basketball if I could. Yeah, It wasn't until there was an accidental. I did a play my senior year, mm -hmm. um, and that's how I got into performance. I had been DJing, so there was already, like I was already used to crowds and stuff. Um, but when I did the play, we used to for for a few years at you know through high school and then through community theater, there were times where they would film the live performances. And almost immediately I recognized like you can't film a stage show. It never translates. It doesn't you could film it on the best night where you went out there and you were just like everyone crushed, we all hit our marks, it was beautiful, yeah. the crowd loved it, and then you watch it on tape and you're like, What did I love about this? Like Right. No matter how many cameras you stick, it just doesn't translate. Yeah. Because you're missing, and I'll always do this, like, you're missing, I'm putting my fingers out and touching the air because yeah, there's yeah. something ethereal. Yeah. There's this, there is a connection between the crowd and the performers and, and everything that you just kind of feel this magic in the air where you're like, all right, I feel that, and it, it never comes through on camera. My, my favorite example of that feeling um, that I've experienced in my life, uh, two years ago, uh, or three years ago, 2014, um, there, I went to a Broadway production of uh, of Mice and Men, starring mm. James Franco and Chris O'Dowd. Nice. Um, and one of my favorite productions I've ever seen. And uh, so, spoiler alert for those who haven't read a book that's like seventy five years old, <laughs> um, <laughs> probably older than that. Uh, the at the end, Lenny, uh, played by uh, played by Chris O'Dowd, and yeah. this. Uh, gets shot by by George. Dwight. No, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely didn't yeah. read it in high school. I yeah. just knew what happened. Um, so yeah, so because uh, Lenny Lenny accidentally kills a girl, and then so they're off. Like there's a whole search party for him, and his best friend decides to shoot him. A great precursor to OJ, right? Uh, yeah, it's the same story. Yeah, pretty much the same story. Yeah. Of OJ and men. <laughs> <laughs> and as OJ said, the best laid plans of uh, mice and men they they just often go awry, Eddie. Um, so anyway. Um, so this is the last moment, you know, maybe two or three minutes of the play yeah. is when this happens. And uh, we everyone had watched the show up until then, obviously. Everyone's super engrossed. But this moment where um, George tells Lenny to go hide out in the reeds and uh, he kind of sits around and is telling the story about the rabbits again. Um, as, as, you know, Lenny's going through his sort of spiel, you slowly see George pull out his handgun, which we thought had been gone missing. And points it right at the back of, of his head, of uh, Lenny's head, and the feeling in that room of, from the people like myself who had read the book in high school, or I had read it again recently before I saw that show, who knew it was coming, and then the other people in the room who were not at all familiar with the show and didn't know it was coming, what was going to happen, the tension was unreal. Mm. Like they say, you can cut it with a knife, there's that old kind of cliche, but I felt like the feeling in that room and then when the gun finally went off there's just a huge gasp every single person in that room knew it was about to happen whether or not you were familiar with the work or not but the fact that you can you know be very straightforward and say like you know you this is you know what's about to happen mm -hmm. and you still get the reaction as if no this is like oh my i can't believe that i can't believe mm -hmm. that happened 
that's something I don't think that you can capture on on screen like you were just saying. We think of when Undertaker lost against Lesnar, and there was that guy in the front row who was, who was like slack-jawed. He was just like, he couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. That is something that, it was nuts to watch that on video, or I watched it on the network when that happened, and I remember also being, you know, uh, you know, amazed or, you know, speechless at that point. Um, in fact, I when that match, when that finish happened, I wasn't even watching the match. I was up at the door because uh, I had ordered some food, and I opened the door, and I hear a three count, and I turn around, and I was like, the Undertaker just lost. And the delivery guy was like, excuse me? And I said, the Undertaker just lost. And he, Dude, I was just recording it at yeah. home. What the fuck? And get this, he sits down with me on the couch as we watch the replays for like three, four minutes, and he goes, I actually got to get out of here. I got other deliveries. But there was that moment, as impactful as it was to everyone watching at home, I'm yeah. sure being in you know the building in, in uh, New Orleans, like it was just yeah. silence if you watch that. Um so I think that's that's an atmosphere that you know there was you know, I from reports you hear like that it was just chilling to be there mm-hmm. after that yeah um, but uh, you know going back to my my of mice and men which I, there are some terrific movie versions of it there's a I believe a John Malkovich version mm-hmm. um, and there's like this classic version that I love a lot too with uh, Burgess Meredith and Lon Chaney Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, helped legitimize Lon Chaney Jr. otherwise known as the original Wolf Wolfman from uh, Universal yep. monster movies. It legitimized him as a, a real actor, and then Burgess Meredith is terrific. He's been in many, many things, but um, he's he's really great. I I know that there's a lot of impressions about him, and like it's easy to tease the voice or the style, or just recognize him as Mick or the Penguin. Yeah, but even in those roles, it's just something brilliant about his yeah. his performances. I I was first introduced to him through the Twilight Zone. Of course, um, oh of course. Time enough at last, classic episode. Uh, and also there is. A famous but not as famous episode called "The Obsolete Man," mm-hmm. where he's uh, the last librarian in a uh, essentially like a police state where they've outlawed books. And uh, always book related with him. Yeah. No, I guess so. Yeah, you're right. I love. I I remember that Twilight episode. Twilight Zone episode. Um, I was obsessed with that when I was younger. That used to be our New Year's. Yeah. Um, tradition. Course. Yeah, absolutely. My my mom would make like pizza bagels and like wings like any one of those like buy it frozen at the grocery store stick it in the oven instant hors d'oeuvre yeah, yeah. In a blanket totally. here's a little pizza roll or whatever and we would just eat those all night until the ball dropped watching yeah we'd watch twilight zone for hours do you have a favorite twilight zone i think the story of of whatever that one where burgess meredith loses his glasses i think that that yeah. stands out to me as someone who wears glasses but just, I mean, just you go with classics, like classic storytelling, yeah. which is a perfect setup. All this guy wants to do is read books, mm-hmm. and he's only happy when he reads books. And you know, his wife gives him a hard time about it. His boss gives him a hard time about it. And here's this pure thing, which there's also, you know, a long time ago in a land far, far away, people would criticize books the way we criticize the internet or text messaging or phones. Okay, people would say that books decreased interaction between people because. You are. You're literally. You're, you're escaping the world that's around you to go into somewhere else. Your your mm-hmm. focus gets solely on the pages. Very similar to what people say about smartphones or the internet or text yeah. messaging. Now we see it as a very altruistic act, but it is also the only way, or one of the one of the primary ways we can share information and thoughts and ideas and grow as a society, as a species. That's mm-hmm. it separates us from animals because they can't pass on these these different stories in all their shapes and forms. So to, to see him struggle with having to read and then finally this 
right? The apocalypse happens, which is common in storytelling and the fear of all humans, right? Yeah. Are we going to die? Are we going to die old in, in, you know, in our home? Uh, is something bad going to happen to us? Is, as I always say, the big question is, are we as humans going to self-destruct first or is the earth going to kick us off first, mm. right? Is the big earthquake coming or are we going to drop a nuke on us, right? It's that, like, the final end to humanity is one of those two ways with a few other options thrown in depending on your belief system. I mean, the way you put it like that, it sounds, I, I think both of those things, earth kicking us off is as a result of human interaction, though. Or of, as, most most I mean, likely. It's like, yeah, it's, it's either straight up, you know, uh, bombing each other or the fact that, uh, you know, we're ruining the environment and doing all these things that are just destructive, polar ice caps, all that. And like, Even still, the earthquake may have nothing to do with us. Like, there's, it's just the same way as a meteor took out the dinosaurs, the earthquake took out the humans kind of thing. So here it is. He faces that moment. And then in the wake of the apocalypse, as tough as it is, he's like, now I can just read and no one's going to give me a hard time. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, like... Worst case scenario is still the best case scenario for me. And then he drops his glasses and steps on him. It's like, fuck. The same thing with the William Shatner with the guy on the edge of the plane. Yeah, the one of my like, favorites. Yeah. You know, am I crazy or are you guys crazy? So right. there's so many of them. And it was just so well done. And to know Rod Serling did almost all of that on his own. Dude, that blows my mind. There's like 150 episodes of Twilight Zone and 90 of them were written by Rod Serling by himself. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, I don't know, the next person maybe wrote, like, 20. Yeah. My, my favorite Twilight Zone writer uh, is a guy named Richard Matheson, who wrote the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. You're just mm -hmm. describing with the man on the wing of the plane. And um, he was, like, a very busy, very seasoned writer. And But Serling, like, that show was his baby. So he, you know, really, yeah. really took the took it by the horns. I, I, like, I like that show a lot because in storytelling, I also like when the good guy doesn't win. And in those shows, it isn't always a happy ending. Yeah. So, sometimes they're open-ended, sometimes they're ambiguous, and sometimes straight out, the good guy loses, or they... Well, what's interesting about that exa example, or the, the idea that the good guy doesn't win, um, the uh, time enough at last being the, the a good example of that, is that's actually, that kind of twist is more indicative of The Outer Limits. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't watch much of that, but I knew I'd uh, spent a lot of time on TV tropes, if you've ever yeah. been on that website. And um, it talks a lot in that part of the website about the difference between a Twilight Zone twist and a uh, Outer Limits twist. And an outer, li outer Limits twist usually has to doesn't necessarily happen through the character's actions as much as it is to kind of just be cruel. Um, and that being like kind of a cruel thing. Though you could argue that it, because he, he wasn't a social person that this ended up happening to him. Yeah. Whereas um, uh, the Twilight Zone twist usually is more like Aristotelian in that it's like it happens because of the way that God, the person's yeah, oh, actions. Gotcha. Yeah, like uh, the one where the woman watches the film and ends up back in the film by the mm -hmm. end of it or something like that. Yeah, I think that one's called 16mm Shrine. I'm not sure. A lot of them have been on Netflix. Yeah. I've watched almost all of their collection. I know Hulu has a bunch. Mm -hmm. I've never, I don't think, I don't think I've seen every episode of The Twilight Zone. I think there's some that I've missed. Yeah, I certainly haven't, and I'm a little embarrassed to say that I haven't seen them all since I always consider myself such a huge fan. I, I did go to a Twilight Zone convention once. What was it like? Uh, it was fine. It was just like a real small convention in, in New Jersey. Um, they screened episodes and they had some actors there from the show. Um, in fact, the lady who played Scout in the uh, uh, Gregory Peck version of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was yeah. there because uh, that little girl was in uh, 
the second to last episode is the Twilight Zone. I believe it's the bewitching pool. It's okay. Like the two kids go into the pool and then come out in like a somewhere else because you know their parents are fighting, so they go and escape. But um, usually, it works its way into those marathons. Is and has anyone done? Not that not that the world needs more podcasts. Has anyone done a Twilight Zone recap podcast? Um, I don't know if there's like episode by episode. I've heard a couple. Um, I'm forgetting what they're called now. There are definitely different Twilight Zone podcasts. None that have really caught my attention. Because here's, here's what we should do then. What's that? One of my favorite podcasts is by a comedian, April Richardson. Okay. And it's called... Um, God, I forget the name of it now. Uh, Bell. It's about Saved by the Bell. She goes back and watches every episode of Saved by the Bell yeah. with a new guest and recaps it. We should just sit down, the two of us, and go and watch episode by episode and do like a review of each episode of The Twilight Zone. Go okay. Bayside. I want to plug that because it's a great podcast. And I'm a big Saved by the Bell fan, so go Bayside. I, will listen. I listen to every episode like three times. That's great. How many uh, episodes of Saved by the Bell are there? I think there was something like four, four or five seasons, and then some specials. Sure. I've wa- that's a show. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I've watched every episode of that show several times over. Wow. So much so that remember they did like a Lifetime movie about it yeah. at one point. Oh yeah. They couldn't in in an actual talk. They couldn't get the rights to any of the actual TV show itself, mm-hmm. right? So they would recreate scenes of them shooting the TV show. And immediately, I was like, that never happened in the show. Oh, no. Like, when I watched them shooting the episode, I was like, yeah, that's not yeah. real dialogue. That didn't happen. Of course, yeah. They could only reference, like, the Jesse episode I that was going to say, knows, that's, but, uh, that's the one everyone knows, yeah. But when it came to actually so shooting something, I was like, that, that's not, that didn't happen. I can tell you right now, that didn't happen. Like, I knew it ahead of time. How's it feel to be one of those people? I mean, I wish... <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, I wish, I wish it wasn't saved by the bell. Like, cause it, look, I know that show is not altruistic. I know it doesn't have a greater purpose. Looking back on it, there's a huge point in my life I realized Zach Morris is a sociopath. Oh, totally. I fucking modeled my life after I wanted to be Zach. Like that was very disappointing news to me. That's a, that's the thing that I I, I uh, it, it it's odd. This is gonna sound very general. It's odd growing up. It's, um, <laughs> Are you experiencing new feelings, Nick, that you've never felt before? No, it's a, like, I, I didn't really realize until I went to college, which is also pretty cliched, um, that, uh, like, I, I grew up on Long Island New, in New York, which is full of bros and preppy people. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's very Saved by the Belly in, in like, the A.C. Slater versus uh, Zach Morris. You sense. know we live in the valley. Right. Bayside hated where we lived right now. <laughs> so much so, I brought this up the other day, there's an episode where one of the girls mm-hmm. fakes being a news reporter to get into Screech's life because he has a big chess match against Valley. Mm-hmm. And so after she like fools him into thinking she's a reporter, she gets on the payphone and calls her Valley friends, and she's like, I'll see you at the Galleria. Oh, God. The Galleria is the Sherman, Oak, yeah, Sherman yeah. Oaks arc light. I go there all the time. The other day I was like, I am at the Galleria. I was so fucking psyched. So who'd you call? Or you couldn't I find a pay phone about it? I bothered Heidi about it. I was like, oh. this is the Galleria. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, Psst. I don't know. Leave me alone. It's the gallery, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so you grew up on Long Island? Yes, yeah, so I grew up on Long Island, which is very, it's a very bro-y place, at least the part of it that I'm from. And, uh, no, and like, so that you grow up and you're like, oh, man, I want to be A.C. Slater, I want to be Zach Morris, mm-hmm. I want to be, like, the cool guy, or the, and then you get, to, and then you, like, get to know those kinds of people in real life, and those people mostly suck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you take offense to this, tweet at me, at Nicholas Bonanno. Um, also, if you take offense to it, it means Nick is probably right. 
<laughs> I feel like that would be the connection. I don't know. I just, I, I guess as, as I went to art school and, you know, met other weirdo type people and, uh, I don't know, I guess learned more about, like, feminism and stuff. I was like, oh, man, I don't, why have I spent so much time being interested in people who, like, love, uh, who are, like, live and die by, like, athleticism and mm-hmm. things like that. As, like, you know, as we talk about wrestling. Yeah. That's, that's, like, the major point of, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, contradiction in my life is that... Yeah. You know, as you try to progress into being a progressive person, you I'm still in love with this, uh, this, uh, you know, form of entertainment. But that's. Uh, but it is. It's entertainment. It it is a. I, I've learned. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll say. I feel like people like you and I appreciate something about wrestling that doesn't that doesn't isn't that people of the masses aren't aware of, but they also enjoy wrestling for the same reason that they are blind about. And then it's because it's this passion play. It's this constant, uh, you know, they say the constant battle of good and evil. That doesn't really exist anymore. But um, I think of uh, that they take the best points of uh, simple conflict in real life and then literally show them on screen. So that, like, Mm -hmm. okay, so uh, going back to WrestleMania. So John Cena and Nikki Bella. Nikki wants to get married to John Cena. John doesn't want to do that. That's that's a very common story in real Mm -hmm. life. Usually don't see it played out in an actual fight, but no. that was the way that they dramatized that. Is and they, if you watched any of their other interviews uh, that morning, I watched them on ESPN, and she, there was like a little side remark about about uh, you know getting married or not getting married, and um, or a better example might be uh, the best friend breakup, which is mm-hmm. arguably just as hard to take, or if not harder than uh, you know a remote uh, romantic mm-hmm. you know breakup between Kevin Owens and, and Chris Jericho, saying I was never your best friend. Imagine your best friend. I don't know if you had a best. I didn't have one growing up, but if I did, um, and he said I was ne- like we were never friends, that would have like ripped my heart out. Oh my god! Yeah. So like the fact that they then have this impassioned match, which I think the emotions really come through in that match. It's besides the Lesnar uh, uh, Goldberg match, I would say that the universal, the, not the universal title, the United States title match. It should it was my should favorite have been, it, That should have been for the universal title. Look. Lesnar and Goldberg played for that belt perfectly, and I think that was a great story, and I think the belt mm. being a part of it made each one of those hard-hitting heavy metal moves even more so. I felt that the most compelling story going into that show was Jericho and Owens, yeah. and having the belt there would have been so much different. I don't think their yeah. story's anywhere near done, but I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna I think they face again. Like if it's me and I'm writing it, Owens gets the belt back at some point, and Jericho pops back up to face him again. I think Jericho beats him for the title at one point, and not the U.S. title, not the yeah. American title. <laughs> I'm talking fucking universal top dog belt. Can we mention for a second that two Canadians were fighting for the United States title? <laughs> two Canadians. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't know. I feel I feel like I'm not doing a good job articulating what I mean, but um, I feel like there is a higher higher level of understanding that we have coming from a theatrical background, coming from a storytelling background. That that is that the masses are blind that that's why they enjoy it too. It is. I a hundred percent agree because it is it is classic storytelling. It is storytelling that is both simple and complex. Mm-hmm. It takes every aspect of storytelling. I was I literally explained this to somebody the other night at One Up. I was at on One Up with. Yeah whole bunch of people and people they were like you're a referee for wrestling and they ask all the standard questions and they try to investigate and I'm like look there's there's something that you need to understand about is there's and there's it's the ultimate storyteller mm-hmm. first there's a story about why they're wrestling alright with Jericho and Owens I use that example they're best friends and at the last moment one of them looks at the other and is like I'm, I was never your friend I was using you and that's why they're gonna that's why they're gonna fight that's the ultimate conflict mm-hmm. 
But the second level of storytelling happens within that match. It's, and I used I used the basic setup for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to shock anyone with this part, and you'll get out of it what you will when you're listening to this. As you know, there's a basic structure to tell that story, mm -hmm. which is that the good guy is probably a better wrestler yeah. than the bad guy. That's going to be the premise. Um, there are obviously instances where that doesn't play, or sure. there's a there's a big bad guy, and so he's abusive, whatever. But that good guy is going to yeah. come out. And he's going to he's going to he's going to fire up. He's going to start that match out wrestling the other guy. He's yeah. going to beat him down. He's going to be on top. And at some point, that 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 bad guy is going to realize he can't out wrestle this guy. So he's going to do something dastardly. Whether it's punch him in the face, escape to the outside, kick him off the ropes. They're going to do something to change the course of that match, which yeah. is kind of underhanded because sure. that's who he is. He would do anything to win and that's when he's on top now that bad guy is gonna just beat the living daylights out of the good guy yeah. and he's gonna just grind out and just beat him down and, and torture him over and over and then at some point it's gonna look like that good guy's gonna have a glimmer of hope he's gonna maybe get a couple and nope boom stops him cuts him right off beats him down some yeah. more and maybe wait is there another chance the good guy can come back nope gets cut off again over and then finally right you build to that crescendo yeah where they have this moment where they probably run into each other, something happens, and the both of them get knocked down, and it almost resets to zero. And it's like, what's gonna happen next? They both, they both had the upper hand. It's, yeah. They're fighting back. They're crawling to the to get to standing, and then you go into these series of, oh man, one two, it almost happened. One two, it almost happened. Who's yeah. gonna come out on top? And then that finish happens, which is hopefully very unexpected, but at the same time, expected. Yeah. Right. Good storytelling is always a half. To one and a half steps ahead of that audience mm. you're leading them down that path so they they would get there anyway with just enough twist where they're like it's satisfying because i knew that's where it could go but yeah. i didn't see it coming at the same time that's the thing i really liked about the tag title match uh the latter match is mm -hmm. that the new day really made it seem like they were going to insert themselves into the match they even came out in their gear yep and then they're like kofi they, was oiled up yeah that was a touch that i looked at after the fact, too, because it just sold it to me. Yeah. I'm one of those guys, I don't, I try to steer clear of spoilers for wrestling all over. Yeah. I know there's a whole business of backstage stuff that gets passed around. I don't find it helps me enjoy the product anymore. Yeah, I agree with that. Or understand the product anymore. Sure. So, I had zero clue the Hardy Boys were going to come out. Mm. It, I knew that... Look, I knew that their contracts were up. I knew they were available. I knew they had talked to WWE. I had no inclination they were going to debut at WrestleMania. Yeah, I don't think any of us really thought that was going to happen. Uh, I feel like you think of that that would be the Monday, after, the, the Raw on mm -hmm. After Mania. That's when that kind of stuff happens. I thought but. they'd set them up for summer. There was a thousand other things I yeah. thought could happen, especially because they were still involved in a lawsuit. It just, so many things. I was like, so when New Day comes out, Kofi's oiled up. And I was like, there was that part of it that was like, I get it. They're gonna enter. They're gonna put themselves in the match. They're gonna win the titles. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be some people who hate that moment. Some people who love it. I was like, I get it. I try to watch all wrestling nowadays through my kid eyes mm -hmm. because that's where I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it when I was six. Right. I loved WrestleMania nine. I know a lot of people hate WrestleMania nine. Mm -hmm. I look back. I'm like, what'd you hate about it? Like. Because I was Hulk nine years champ. old. I was nine years old when it happened. Like, a nine-year-old looks at that and is like, you guys, okay, Doink the Clown had two doinks. Okay, makes sense. Let's go. You know, Yokozuna cheated to beat Brett and Hogan saved the day. Like, it was, I didn't, yeah. I wasn't worried that Hogan was politicking. Yeah, or, that's, you know. 
So when Man. I look at it, I look through kid eyes, which is if the New Day came out and inter- injected themselves into a match and win the titles, I'm like, I'm down with that because the kid in me is like, I, that makes sense to a child. Yeah. Also, they weren't. They didn't see. You only saw them previously in the opening segment, I think, because it really wasn't backstage. Stuff, I think they only did three things. I think I, they uh, opened the show, I think they introduced the Hardys, and then they announced it was a sellout crowd. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all they did. Yeah. So, in my head, I was like, okay, this is one of your, this is one of the biggest acts you guys have. Like, these guys are important yeah. to surprise us by putting yourselves in a match and winning the titles. Cool, like, that's a WrestleMania surprise. And then when there was another, another twist, I was like, holy shit. That, a I twist of fate, if you will. If you will. Um, um, what's it called? Um... I was listening to your episode with Tyler Davidson before. Ty, I love Ty. Ty. And um, you guys talked about uh, what kind, what matches you show people who are uh, new to wrestling. Yes. Specifically, significant others, but like uh, anyone really. I want you to finish with that. I do want to add one caveat. Totally. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker is most likely one of the greatest matches in the history of the of wrestling. Period. Yeah. Uh, at that time, I don't think I had seen it in the same light. I think I may have been a little. A little soft on that match. Yeah, that match. That match is god awful perfect. God awful perfect. That match is so good. That's an interesting expression. God awful perfect. I, w- I want to make sure I'm on the record as as turning on that one though. Recently, I rewatched Flair and and Sean at 24. Mm-hmm. Also, fucking great. And I have Michaels is my top. Sean is my number one from from way back. So anyway, yes. What matches you show? Um. So I thought of the only time I've really uh, tried to introduce someone to wrestling, one of my exes did a very good job trying to... She just didn't get it, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, I don't expect everyone to. Uh, but she tried. She came to shows with me and stuff. And this was a couple years ago. And I, I, I sent her two matches. One was the Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels match, which admittedly, looking back, was not a good match to show her because it was like 40 minutes long. And <laughs> like it's super... Yeah, there's so much going on. Um, but another match that I sent her was... Uh, it was... A Ring of Honor TV match. It was probably like six or seven minutes. It was Steen, Kevin Steen and El Generico versus two other guys. And um, because I knew that she would probably latch on to El Generico, uh-huh. um, who is very similar to Sami Zayn um, in a lot of ways. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, and of course, Kevin Steen is Kevin Owens. And uh, I knew that by getting in emotionally or in a, like, a character that you could find yourself you know, interested in if you weren't already invested in Shawn Michaels or The Undertaker yeah. for, from their mystique, um, someone like an El Generico who's very upbeat, very very clear. When you see a Generico wrestler, even when you see him walk out or run out to the ring, you get what he does. He's mm-hmm. you know, uh, a generic luchador is what, what you know. Yeah, the, the idea. And um, the he's just super fun. And I remember that being like a great entry point for it was that not so much the action or you know mm-hmm. the drama of that, but just character and, and the basis of everything. They say you know, yeah, character. I feel like. You know, one of my first responses, and I, I probably said it on that show as well, well, I always go back to Bret and Owen at WrestleMania 10. Mm-hmm. I think the brother versus brother story is mm-hmm. simple enough to relate to. Yeah. Um, I think the match itself, and I haven't watched it in a little while, but you're gonna find it's going to be tough to find someone who says that match isn't awesome um, and doesn't tell a great story. In fact, when I was watching WrestleMania this year, and I'm going to say I'm going to state this emphatically. This was one of my favorite WrestleManias in a long time. I think it was one of the best WrestleManias I've seen in a while. Like start to finish, yeah. the whole thing was. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no extraneous parts. I don't even think that's the right word for it. There's nothing extra. Mm-hmm. There's no fat to trim. It didn't feel like 
what wound up being a five-hour show. Yeah. Right? Five hours and 15 minutes by the time The Undertaker walked out at sure. the end. It didn't feel long. It felt like it moved. There weren't long, bloated segments with guys talking in the ring a little too long. Yeah. Or, and I love a lot of those things that happen at WrestleMania where mm-hmm. legends show up or this. There was not a single legend on that show. Right. You know, I, I think I know why. Why do you think that is? It was The Undertaker. I think if you put... I think if you had... I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that The Rock was originally supposed to be there, but that after that CM Punk episode where he called Punk from the ring, I think both sides just was like, ah, funny, can't make it that day, guys. Too bad. (laughs) But I think there was a little tension. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that another time. I was there when that happened. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. But But I um... think that if I were writing this Mm -hmm. and I knew what the outcome was at the end of that show, what the final moment was, my case would be let him be the ultimate legend tonight. Don't show Stone Cold. Let Sean be on the pre-show. Mick Foley's out of the question at the moment. Don't trot Ric Flair out with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Don't bring out The Rock. Don't Kurt Angle's the only guy he's going to come out when it's his time for the Hall of Fame. But otherwise, yeah. let all of this... And if you looked at the whole show, it was all leading up to this beautiful moment of, of the final farewell. And I think mm-hmm. in that same way of building tension, you release some of it if you're showing... Demolition coming out, or Erwin R. Scheister makes an appearance. Whatever face you can trot out that yeah. is that inspires that nostalgia, you've left all the nostalgia now for that final moment where. I mean, I st- I got I got real emotional. I'm not Taker is I like Undertaker. He was never my number one guy, mm-hmm. but looking at a man stand in the ring and realize this was the last time I'm gonna do this thing that has been my whole life. Like and putting down the Undertaker and walking away as Mark a man. I was affected. I had a bad day yesterday. I I was like I was emotional. Like I was off. Like I was. It was weird. It was weird to watch a human being do something for twenty seven years and then put it down and say this is the last time I'm doing that and to look in his eyes and know that he knew like I'm done with this. I'm saying goodbye to this and it was tough for him. It was real. Uh, Real emotional, sure. through and through, in a different way than a lot of the other retirements that I've watched. I actually didn't watch Sean's retirement. I honestly, looking back even now, like I, I don't think I was ready to watch it. Mm. I wasn't ready to, to recognize that Sean was leaving. Um, he'd been my favorite for so long. Um, watching The Undertaker, watching Ric Flair retire was beautiful. Like That was a perfect moment for him, you know, and I think... I don't think anyone has trouble casting aside the TNA matches. Like that was his last match. Yeah. That was the last time he was on a big stage in a Ric Flair style of woo and walk out. Yeah. And they did hit perfect. They did it perfect for him. I think the way that they said goodbye to the undertaker, other than the fact that there were a few things in that match that weren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. Roman and taker was not the classic that Sean and Ric Flair was for a last match. But there was also a lot of really good storytelling in that match. And I think all of it worked perfectly in that final moment where he took his coat off and he took his hat off and he walked out and the emotion on his face overrode everything else that went on. And Mm. they played Roman as enough of a bad guy and a heel and a tough guy in it. I think he looked as good as he should have in that. And they played it well where he can still be the hero to some, but he was a badass to, to another segment of the audience I don't know, what were your impressions of the, the WrestleMania on a whole? 
Um, I have a very specific question after that. You do? I do. I very like this is a only. I can only ask Nick this question. <laughs> All right. Um, as a whole, as a whole, I enjoyed it. Um, I was surprised there wasn't more kind of Gaga like uh, uh, mm-hmm. backstage stuff, in ring stuff. One of my favorite segments that was that should have been awful that wasn't ever uh, um, was WrestleMania 30. It opens up with Hogan talking about the network and all that, you know, and then he mistakenly calls the Superdome the Silverdome. Yeah. And that one mistake turned that segment from something that would have been awful or very boring, at least, into the most entertainment segment, the most entertaining style of that kind of segment I've ever seen. It could um, have felt very contrived. Yeah. And yet they, because what it yeah. did is it took three of the greatest. Right. And gave them something to show why they were great. Right. You so know? then when Stone Cold comes out and says, you know, it's great to be back in the Silverdome just to bust his chops, and then The Rock says something about the Silverdome, and then they, they wrap up, and Hogan says, what you going to do when Stone Cold, uh, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, and the Superdome yep. are going to run wild on you? You know, that's just... That is one of my favorite segments Set up and pay off, man. That was a... Just also the main segment. I, I, thought, I, I thought each one of those guys was like on, their, on, their, on the ball that night. Mm-hmm. The three of them just pulled off so perfectly it is one of my favorites and they each hit their line at the right moment in yeah. the right way like and from what i understand they didn't do a lot of talking about it you know they had yeah. they had their framework as they should but then a lot of it especially after the the screw up was just kind of called on the fly right the most interesting i don't know if you heard this but stone cold was like afterwards he was like just so you guys know that was not the order I was told we were coming out in. Yeah. Which meant he was supposed to go last, but The Rock one-upped him and was like, no, I'm the bigger star, I'm going out last kind of thing. And yet, worked perfectly for me. Because sure. you get the Hogan and Stone Cold stare down, which you've wanted forever, and they say, good on you, and then you realize this is going to another level and you're going to bring in The Rock. Mm-hmm. If you make a WWE Mount Rushmore or any... I think there's a great case for the Mount Rushmore to be Hogan, Stone Cold, Rock, and Cena. In a certain light. Okay. In a certain light. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's too broad to really say, mm-hmm. like, this is, you know, the Mount Rushmore of everything. But if you look at who the guys have been in pro mm-hmm. wrestling, like, who's been the guy who's carried the ball? Jericho talks about this on all the time. Like, who's carried the ball for the company? Those are the four names. And even Jericho will say it. Like, those are the four guys who have been the face of this company sure. for as long as you can remember. The only guy before that was San Martino. Right, so then you go San Martino, Hogan, Stone Cold Rock, Cena, and now I guess Roman Reigns. <laughs> so what's your question, Eddie? If you were gonna referee one match on Sunday at WrestleMania 33, oh man! Now, not just I guess I guess you could say we're looking at it through after how the match went, mm-hmm. but I guess if we had walked into that dressing room too. Because I guess there's two 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 parts to it, or two ways you could look at it. But my thought would be like, which one of those matches would you have wanted to be the referee for? Man, that's a good question. Um, two of my referee mentors who were in WWE actually both had their first WrestleMania main card matches this on Sunday. Who were they? They were um, uh, Jason Ayers, who you would uh, trying to remember what match he did, but um, uh, he may have done one of the divas. Ma- oh, excuse me, one of the women's matches. Why did mm-hmm. I say that? Because they, because they programmed us. Yeah. To be fair, we like, they forced that word down our throat. They have shows yeah. about it. And then uh, you're right. And then uh, Sean Bennett, who is uh, another referee, uh, he I believe did the other women's title match. Okay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they. But I remember seeing both of them on the show and being very pleased that they both got it, because um, that's a huge thing. You know, there's only so, I guess there were a lot of matches on the show, but there are only so many referees. 
and uh, look that get that earned the spot. Rusev, Strowman, and Samoa Joe did not get WrestleMania matches this yeah, year. None of the cruiserweights besides the the two that were on the pre-show. Dean were, Ambrose didn't make the main show with the IC belt. Right. There's only so many spots. Um. Damn. But uh, okay. So which of those matches would I want to have refereed? Oh man. All right, I'm going to call you out here for a second, mm-hmm. because you always say that you like refereeing Scorpio Sky matches because oh, yeah. they go well. I think that's because all Scorpio Sky matches are good. I don't think it's anything particular to the referee in that situation, mm-hmm. um, as much as it's like, if you had a match with Shawn Michaels, it would be good no matter kind of what. Uh, I think Scorpio is uh, or Sky works very similarly in that sense. Um, Absolutely, you can call me out. <laughs> if I see Sky is on the card, I will do everything I can to angle to get there, because I know he turns in a great show, and... As you know, like mm. it's easier to do our job in any fashion when someone else is good at their job. Yeah. And in those instances, there are guys that I've been in the ring with that make my job better. Yeah. Ryan Taylor is another guy I'll call out. Where yeah. When I'm in the ring with Ryan Taylor, I know I'm going to do better work than I have before because I agree. He demands it, he inspires it, and he helps me get there. Yeah. He'll give me little things in the ring that other guys don't give me. You know, little cues here and there. Move over here. Give me that. He'll challenge me at a time in a way where I'm like, oh, God, he's he's giving me a cue to be a character. I'm going to push back on this and puff my chest out as I st- take one step back to, yeah. to pretend I'm there for and let, it. And then that lets him be more of a, a dick or whatever he's exactly. trying to accomplish. Or if he needs to, you know, get upset and then calm himself back down. That's a, that's a yeah. My favorite People match... Get, they don't think that that's important, but giving someone else something for you to play off of is... Uh, yeah, they, he, and he, those guys find ways for that. Bateman is the same way. Oh, Bateman sure. gives me stuff. Classic connection. There's always something that they will give me or do out there that I'm just like, this is this is where we're going. This is where we're yeah. getting better with it. When I first started, maybe my second classic connection match, um, I don't know if they still do it. I feel like they probably do. Um, they like doing a thing where they'll have a guy in, I don't know, say a figure four or something like that, and uh, where a buddy will have him in the in the move, and then Levi will reach over and hold on to him for uh, for leverage. Mm-hmm. So Buddy will be reaching back to be pulling on his tag partner behind the ref's back. I remember um, they were saying that they were going to do that to just be aware of it. And going back to camera angles, I was like, well, if you're going to do it, you should do it, um, you know, not with your back to the hard cam. You should do it. Uh, mm-hmm. On the on the because usually the the heels tend to stand with their back to the hard cam uh, in that Le- corner. Levi does it constantly. I yeah. const Levi move to the other side of the turnbuckle. Yeah. Levi, nobody wants yeah. to see your big white back. I would say yeah. So if they're on entranceway side, as we say for Hollywood, yeah. um, uh, if he like, if they did that same move where he's reaching through the ropes to hold on to his his partner for leverage, um, I can position myself so that I don't see them, but the camera captures the entire shot. Um, yeah. Lengthwise, because if I was, if it was, if they were doing it on the other side, it would look really bad, and then yep. both you couldn't see me or you couldn't see them, and it was we couldn't get the shot right. But that's a whole the thing I remember talking to them about, and then once they realized that I was just looking out for them, then that conversation started. Okay, what else can we do to you know work with the ref or do this or do that, and that's uh, something interesting. But going back to your question, which match from WrestleMania would I like to have officiated? Um, I've decided that it would have been the United States Championship match, mm. um, and that's because above all else, yes, every match on that show is important. But um, I feel like I have, in some way, like a, uh, a sort of personal connection to both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Chris Jericho was a favorite of mine growing up. Um, I loved all of his books, um, and Kevin Owens was someone who I really rooted for, being like the atypical like indie guy. Especially, you know, you look at Jer- what Jericho was wearing on Sunday. He was wearing all all sparkly super tights. Um, Typical pro wrestler kind of look, and then Kevin Owens walks out wearing a black pants, black shorts, black t-shirt cut off. He's got a bit of a gut. He doesn't, you know, he's not tan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, not super cut up. Scruffy beard. Scruffy dude, very indie looking. And that guy made it to the dance, and he really, you know, with his work, not just because of the way that he looks. Um, Incredible personality in yeah. camera, too. Uh, character. Camera. And so, I mean, the only, if, if Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens ever had a match at WrestleMania, I would want to referee that, because both of those yeah. guys, I talked before about, oh, I talked before about a guy named uh, El Generico, but Sami Zayn, who I said is very similar to him, um, means a lot to me, because he has a lot of those same characteristics, the underdog, and someone who I, you know, have followed in his time in WWE, um, parallel to that of El Generico on the Indies, yeah. um, as, you know, same thing. It was a guy yeah. who I really rooted for, who I really believed in, who I, I loved the character. Um, and so, uh, also I think Sami Zayn and I would be friends. I don't know. But, um... I, I mean, all the stories are always that he's offbeat and weird at first, but yeah. once you adjust to him, you're like, oh yeah, that's Sammy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I... I, I Jericho... So Jericho Owens is my answer, because I, I would, you know, Jericho is goddamn incredible. Jericho is so good. Yeah. Jericho, I think I told you this recently, when he wrestled Seth Rollins at whatever pay-per-view they were wrestling at, it was a few pay-per-views ago. Okay. I legitimately cried at that match. Really? I was sitting here watching it, and it was just... That was one of the matches that inspired me of, like... We've talked about this. We, won't, we don't need to get too deep into this, but as referees for Championship Wrestling from Hollywood and mm -hmm. a few other promotions, the question is always in the back of our minds of do we want to do we want to referee for WWE? Is that something we want to pursue? Is that something we want? What would it be like? All of that. And it was that match and somebody else is going to yell about what pay-per-view it was on. But it was Jericho and Rollins. And I was just watching it and I was like, God, they, they're so good. That was one of those ones where, like like when I was with Willie Mack and Scorpio Sky at Milestone sure. and I was just like, God, this is a great match and I am in the middle of what they're yeah. doing right now. I watched that match and just cried. It wasn't it wasn't classic in a steamboat macho man way. It was just so good because yeah. Rollins and Jericho are so good and the thought of being in there with them while they did it was inspiring of like, yeah. that's that's why I would want to go. I would want to go to work with Jericho or to yeah. work next to Rollins to hear Cena and what he does in there to see yeah. how he gets what he gets out of it and Jericho Rollins made me cry because it was, I was just like, God, this is beautiful and they're doing a great job and I would love to, to do that with them. If I had to referee, if I could ref, if I had to, if I could have refereed, <laughs> if someone forced me, yeah, like put a gun and he said, go to Orlando, you referee the fuck out of that match. The one I wanted, the one I would have wanted to work would have been uh, AJ and Shane, mm. which I wouldn't have said before the match. Mm. Like this is purely going off of what I saw. Other than if you told me like AJ Styles, I'd be like, yeah, I know he's gonna be good. He's gonna do something good. But watching that match, that was, I thought, not just the best match of the night, but, like, my favorite match. Because it, oh, it was a wrestling match. Yeah. Right? Lesnar Goldberg was awesome. But it wasn't a wrestling match. That was an event match. Yeah. Taker and Roman oh, yeah. was big for a different reason. And they told a great story. There was no Shawn Michaels in that match. Right. Um, Jericho and Owens was awesome. I always thought it was going to be kind of tough to have one match fulfill what that story was. That's why I thought the belt should be there because that that story was huge. Yeah, I would say after seeing you take a punch on TV, I think you could take a pretty sweet roundhouse kick from uh, AJ. That's how they bumped the ref in that match, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Like, uh, and I looked at that and I was like, "Kyoto's dead." Oh man. Yeah, and if if anyone can get the chance, I'm not sure which match it was. What was the match where you got punched in the face? Uh, I've gotten several. The one I remember that everyone loves the most is. Um, I know DJ Hyde like larried you over the face right but I was there was one I thought was just a punch 
So DJ Hyde and Big Duke clotheslined me with the leather strap one time. Right. <laughs> but the very first the very first match I ever had to do, I had to take a bump off of the Rebel Renegades and yeah. Los Primos Riveros. That wasn't the good one. They missed their own spot, had to come back to it later, got it. But the one that everyone remembers the most is the evil Russian Sasha Derevko is laying out refs. In fact, I think oh, right. I think um Comrade had picked you up in during the match and thrown you into Yeah, he threw me into the steps and it ran into yeah. And you were knocked out. Yeah. So they were then beating up pretty Peter Avalon. They had mm-hmm. him down in the in the ring. And so I came running out to try to help him as I slide in and as I stand up, as I stand up, Sasha is already pulling his fist back and I'm like, Well what am I gonna do now? And Sasha just decks me right in the <laughs> face and I go down. So yeah, uh, I think I could have taken that roundhouse. Yeah. But I loved, I loved AJ and Shane. All credit in the world to Shane because he busted his ass. Mm-hmm. But it also made me realize, like AJ is next level good because yeah. there's no way that wasn't. It takes two to dance, but there's no way that wasn't all AJ. Like AJ has to help walk Shane through mm-hmm. that match in particular. The only slow part was that ending, ending where they needed to bump the ref and keep them down for the prolonged sequence of. Gaga, if you will, of trash cans and tables, and but, I mean, starting off with actual wrestling, like there's no way you were gonna tell me Shane McMahon was actually gonna go hold for hold for three minutes, right, with AJ Styles and have it look not just believable but good and make sense to then go into a slugfest, to then go into high impact moves, to then go into this beautiful finish of mm-hmm. back and forth with the. The trash can kick, the coast-to-coast, and the elbow on the top. Whenever I see that coast-to-coast, I feel like people don't really give them credit for how far that actually is that you have to jump. And it's Shane. It's not... All respect to Shane. Like, he's not not an athlete the way an AJ Styles is an athlete. Right. He's not training every single day. Looking at those... I appreciated... Because I've also... You've done it as well. Mm -hmm. You've gone to wrestling school and locked up with some of these guys. And just to wrestle... To headlock and go behinds and takedowns and arm arm drags, just every little thing that they did early on there. Shane doesn't do that night in and night out like everyone else. Right. And yet he was smooth almost as if he did. And I respected the fuck out of that match. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was as I watched it, I was like, this is the best opening match since Bretton Owen. Wow. At ten. Like that was my very first instinct. And it took twenty three years to get as solid an opening match. I thought the story going into it was weak, but once they were in the ring, I was just like, oh, God, like, it worked. And it wasn't a stunt show, which is what we all expected from Shane. We were like, what right, yeah. What big thing is he going to jump off? No, the big spots were a coast to coast and an elbow onto a table. Like, those were the big spots. The rest of it was a great match. Um, I thought it was similar. I'm, I'm not going to compare it to Macho and Steamboat. But it had similar elements of storytelling there, where it was just this solid 15 or 20 minute layout from we wrestled, then we started beating each other up, then we went to high impact moves, then we went into this big finish of dramatic sequence. And I, I don't know, I loved that match. I would have loved to referee and been in there and see what it was like, what it felt like, what the crowd was doing, because they were into it the whole time. Yeah. It was right at the beginning, so they were perfectly hot. And those guys just put on a hell of a show. That was a story I would have loved to be in there for. Right on. Um, so it's perfect. I'll take one. You take two because that was Jericho and Owens. They were up number two, I believe. Yeah. So you can you could take them. I'll take the opening match with with AJ. 
Right on. Cool. This was awesome, dude. Plug plug what you want. I'll put um, it in at the beginning of the show, too. Yeah, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Nicholas Bonanno. It's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-B-O-N-A-N-N-O. Um, and catch me on uh, on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, which is on KDOCLA, Saturdays at 4 p.m. It's also on YouTube America. Check your local listings, or you could stream at any time at fight.tv. And, uh, you can obviously catch me there as well. I, I need to make sure I say this out loud. Nick is a huge influence on on me. I, like I don't. I want to stop talking to the audience. Like you have taught me so much. Like you have absolutely. I wouldn't. I wouldn't still be doing that. I know they would have thrown me out that first day with the shirt. You know, mm-hmm. not to expose anything that wasn't a plan. Yeah, was I, was, I was prepared that, to do that whole show myself. I tell them that all the time. It almost happened to me in Arizona a couple times. I, I would easily do the one all by myself as well. Mm. But when they threw me out there, it could have easily been a one-off. And it was only because, like, I've only grown, I've grown so much because of all of your help and your insight. You're always there for me. Nick is, I've said it not to his face, but now to your face. Like, you're you're my instructor. You're my teacher. You're my, sem- you're my sensei. You, mm-hmm. you teach me how to do that stuff. And your input, your advice, your encouragement is invaluable. So when you see me on, on KDOC on Saturdays or on YouTube America or on Fight TV app, like that's the training of Nick Bonanno. That's that's him giving me advice and pointing out what I need to do better and where I can grow and encouraging me when I when I do something right when I take a good punch from Sasha Dorevko. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, check him out there. That's very nice of you to say, Eddie. I will I will like to add to that that um, you're the fastest learning referee that I've ever instructed um, for sure. I think that 100% comes from your ba- performance background, so you just get it immediately. Um, which was refreshing because I, when I'm in Arizona or I'm in other parts of the country where I have to tell people, you know, don't turn your back to camera, don't do this, and I didn't have to tell you those things. You just knew. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know, all your you know, it's like Slumdog Millionaire. You have all the answers from your experiences. Yeah. But um, so check us out. Yeah. Check us out on television or on on the internet if you can. If you're in the LA area, we have uh, TV tapings in Port Port Wenimi twice a month. Come out, as Nick said, live wrestling is much different. Than when you're at home, and even Absolutely. though we're ta- ta- we're we are taping for TV, but all those matches are presented for the crowd. Um, live wrestling is just a wonderful experience. Whether you've seen it a hundred times, you've never seen it before. I brought people for the very first time who've never seen wrestling, and they came up and saw a TV taping, and we're just enthralled at, at the aspect. Yeah. It's a it's an incredible experience. So come check us out. Yeah, and if you want to be a professional wrestling referee, come to the United Wrestling Network International Wrestle Center, which is in Oxnard. Uh, just opened up it's gonna be really great and so. get prepared to have your head taken off with a leather strap at some point <laughs> how can you prepare for that though really i don't know marriage i want to say <laughs> cheers <laughs> all right man nick thanks for coming thanks for having me eddie thanks as always for listening guys remember to check out uh nick bonanno on twitter check out championship wrestling from hollywood on twitter and on kdoc u2 america and the fight tv app uh come to our shows to the ocean pew ocean view pavilion every other sunday twice a month check out historical roast and fictional roast on twitter on itunes our historical roast uh shows are now as podcasts on itunes as well as the shows being posted on youtube Check out Fictional Rose. Check out About to Break with Taylor Hughes. Plugs, f- plugs fucking galore. Check me out April 28th at Flappers, May 10th at About to Break Live. Guys, just enjoy it, all right? And as my buddy Scott Yeager always says, may the 4th be with you. <laughs>